listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the Pain Pod. You wanna see pain? Look at these. Welcome to the Pain Pod, the podcast for all things pain management. Hosted by the pain guy, Dr. Mark Grofoli. We'll be collaborating with numerous pain management experts, talking about substance usage disorders, the latest treatment modalities, and most important, important. focusing on the pain of our patients as leading providers of pain care. And now, here's our host, a man wanted in all 50 states, a suburban city like Mountain Man, without the beard, from the hills of West Virginia, and certified in weapons of mass destruction response, it's Dr. Mark Garofoli. Welcome everyone to the Pain Pod. Come one, come all to the pain pot. That's what we always say, right? Uh, so here today, we're, we're in for a hopeful treat. Uh, we're going to be going over what I'd call bug drugs, opioids, all things opioids, okay? All the illegal stuff, of course, and a little dabbling into uh, some of the uh, misuse, abuse, and diversion of even the prescription opioids as well, too, because it's all one big package here on the pain pod. All right, so for this uh, discussion here on thug drugs, opioids, we're going to uh, organize things into, uh, as I just uh, alluded to, the overall idea here of uh, things are just uh, outright illicit, illegal uh, across the globe, by the way, you know, different legalities and policies and all that uh, across the globe. Uh, but there's all of those. Um, but, you know, since, uh, you know, this is a pain pod, our, our primary audience, of course, being healthcare professionals. Uh, you know, certainly here on the Pharmacy Podcast Network with pharmacy professionals. Let's start out the conversation with, uh, you know, our our overall prescription uh, types of opioids that seem to, uh, you know, end up in, in other hands along the way. Uh, and I probably shouldn't say prescription because, you know, sometimes it could be even things, um, you know, in, in different categories, uh, OTC, prescription, you know, all, all different classifications along the way. So where do, where do we begin? Uh, well, Let's start out with, uh, uh, you know, let's start with some purple drink, okay? Uh, some might notice Zerp or Lean or Syrup or Dirty Sprites, but uh, one of the big names is purple drink, and I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about, right? Uh, the old uh, promethazine with codeine. Uh, the general, uh, you know, recipe there is basically that uh, promethazine with codeine. Some folks might say throw a little dextromethorphan in there, another cough suppressant, of course. We'll get there in a moment. But, uh, you know, it's combining that cough syrup uh, with something, uh, some type of soda, like a Sprite, a Mountain Dew, Grape Fanta sometimes, getting that purple side of things. Uh, some folks might add in a, a hard candy, like a Jolly Rancher, to add to the sweetness. Uh, and, and many a times, at least back in the day, it was always uh, put into a styrofoam cup. That's how folks roll with that purple drink along the way. Uh, you know, those other names like lean, um, that, that uh, alluded to the idea that people would be leaning over. It was difficult to stand upright when utilizing the substance uh, along the way. You know, uh, the idea of uh, this, this purple drink stuff started back in the 90s. 
um, I believe it was with uh, the Houston DJ Screw, uh, started uh, popularizing the drink, uh, ended up uh, like a decade later in a 3-6 Mafia song. Um, you know, that really brought it to the national audience. Uh, then uh, back in uh, early century, 2008, uh, the, there was actually the commercial product drank. It didn't include any of the old promethazine with codeine, but uh, other things like, uh, I believe, valerian root, rose hips, melatonin, all these things to quote unquote slow your roll. Uh, and back about a decade ago, uh, rapper Lil Wayne uh, was hospitalized with Caesar, seizures after allegedly utilizing this substance. Uh, these days of note, though, uh, there's a lot of the stuff that's out there uh, that's not actually the same product. Uh, things like purple stuff, sip and syrup, and lean. These are actually beverages that are available in commerce uh, that have nothing to do with what we were just talking about. Next up, uh, we'd be jumping into the idea of robo-tripping. Okay? Uh, here, we're going to hit up dextromethorphan. Uh, dextromethorphan is quite the interesting uh, substance. Uh, it's basically the methylated... Um, you know, other-handed version in an antimer uh, of levorphanol. So you make two changes. You put in levorphanol, a potent, relatively potent opioid, in a mirror and add a methyl group, and you got dextromethorphan. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, changes with its access over the years. You know, certainly still OTC, uh, but there was some cotton back on, you know, the uh, uh, products or bottles with more product in them. Uh, that has certainly changed. You could even buy it online these days with... Uh, quite the uh, amount of uh, pill formulation in the bottles, even online, major commerce uh, sites, of course. Uh, myself, anytime I go to any conferences, um, I'm batting a thousand actually for this one. Uh, I always go to the gift shop, okay? And I look for in their uh, medication section and I say, oh, they got any of this robo trip and stuff going on? Uh, folks, literally I'm batting a thousand. Every single time there's the, the little three ounce bottle. And you might think, oh, that's just a little bottle. Or, of course, the lay public might be thinking, eh, it's a little bottle. What harm could happen there? Well, you know, dexamethorphan has, you know, the low doses are a cough suppressant, moderate, get into that pain management scenario. Uh, and then the higher doses, you're getting into uh, euphoria, hallucinations, distorted vision, uh, so on and so forth. And that can happen just with that bottle. Okay. And that that's a concern. Again, every gift shop that uh, any, any conference I've been to in the last probably decade or so. Very interesting. All right, so probably in the same gift shop, another product on the opioid side would be loperamide, commonly known as Imodium, also known as poor man's methadone. The street slang for these products are interesting, to say the least. Uh, so it turns out um, a, a small number of folks were taking 400 to 600 loperamide uh, to overflood the periphery, you know, the uh, further away parts uh, from our spine of our body, uh, because other opioids typically work in the, the CNS or the spine and brain, basically. Uh, well, you know, it's like putting pouring water in a bucket. Sooner or later, there's only so much room, right? So maybe there's some intelligence in there, but, uh, you know, lacking smarts as well, or vice versa. Because uh, folks that were taking four or 500, 600 of, of uh, generic Imodium, um, well, that ended up with a QT interval prolongation. Another way of saying heart problems, pretty big too, okay? Uh, but that's actually, uh, you know, why there's that, uh, the, you know, the packaging now that's uh, darn near impossible to get into. So when someone has diarrhea, uh, now you got to go through getting at least two of those out of the package, and boy, it's it's uh, it's harder than what the SATs used to be, folks. Uh, and that's all because a couple people, literally just a handful, we're taking four, five, six hundred of these. Good golly, what are we doing? All right, so um, let's jump into some of the other uh, prescription ideas here uh, when it comes to opioids. 
Uh, so there's the age-old, uh, you know, opioid abuse transition. Some would say it's circular, but pretty linear, really. You know, starting out with something like a hydrocodone acetaminophen, and then an oxycodone acetaminophen, and then just an oxy solo ingredient product. Uh, and then eventually somebody uh, transitioning over to heroin, whether snorting initially uh, or then injecting, you know, getting over the fear of the needle, if there is one, uh, because the heroin is much cheaper in the street and in reality compared to, um, you know, diverted prescription opioids. Uh, and that becomes a reality, too. Uh, but you know what? There's a lot of kidney punches out there in the headlines. All right. And there's um, a CDC MMWR. It's a weekly report, basically. Uh, back in the day, uh, I believe it was back in 2017, uh, that had a, a basically facilitated the headlines. I know you've read them many times, uh, where 75% of heroin utilizers started with prescription opioids. Yeah, but, okay, if you read that report, pretty legit, right? Um, but the headlines, are, what, what, what about where folks got them? Okay, we got to be like the toddlers asking why, where, how, all that. Uh, so interestingly enough, there was a couple of DEA reports uh, that would show that, um, and, and kind of interesting that it came from a DEA report that uh, only about a third of the time it comes from a prescriber and by association dispenser. Um, the rest of the time, it's you know whether family, friends, drug dealer, free, paid, whatever. Um, so, you know, really interesting that it's only a third of the time, yet we still see those headlines that naturally get associated with us and healthcare. Another DA report um, would actually show also that uh, only about just over uh, just over 10% of the time, uh, folks are uh, utilizing these substances, these medications, uh, abusing them uh, to for euphoria to get high. But you would think that was like 90%, if not always, right? No, a lot of the times, according to a DA report, we're going to have everything in the show notes, folks. Um, it, it's actually really just above 10% of the time. Go figure. Uh, and talking about prescription opioids, I'd re be remiss not to talk about oxycrisping. Right now, you're thinking you probably just stopped. You're like, what's he talking about? Or you totally know what I'm talking about. Well, oxycrisping was uh, taken uh, oxycontin, uh, the, the reformulated product that was supposed to, uh, you know, really deter abuse. Uh, using things like uh, a petty egg, uh, a magnetron, we know those as microwaves, uh, mini fridge, pretty much everything that's in a dorm room. Um, using all those things to, uh, you know, grate down uh, the pills and then microwave them, nuke them. And uh, that's oxycrisping to then inject them. Uh, turns out folks really should have used a lemon zester. It would be better than a petty egg. But what are you going to do? You know, um, now you know what oxycrisping is. And since then, we've had lawsuits and settlements after lawsuits and settlements. I know you've seen the headlines. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, within the last year, uh, my local paper, uh, you know, in Morgantown, wild and wonderful West Virginia, uh, we, we actually had a front page where there was a, a quarter billion dollar opioid settlement uh, in our state. Okay, but it was front page, but it was really small on the right uh, compared to a very large picture or two about a, a gas station, a regional gas station sheets. I'm sure many of you know of them uh, getting a, a not really a remodel, but a redo of a building. And it was that that was very telling of the times of how, uh, you know, the sensationalized stories are, are starting to get beat down. But along the way, uh, you know, we've got to remember the different waves of the opioid crisis that we live in. Um, you know, originally turn of the century, it was really the prescription opioid uh, concerns and then heroin utilization and, and overdose deaths increased. Uh, and then slash now, perhaps we have uh, everything fentanyl. Uh, it's always said synthetic opioids, but it's really fentanyl and its analogs. 
more to come in a hot second on that. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about heroin here for uh, a moment. Wave two, I guess. Uh, if we remember back, um, none of us, well, literally none of us were alive. Over 100 years ago, uh, heroin was uh, around in our country. People used it for cough. Uh, it, it was originally made by Bear, the folks that brought you baby aspirin. You know, that, that term itself is about as good as saying medicine cabinet, not really utilizing either as, as labeled. Uh, across the globe, though, heroin's legal. Okay, certain countries, uh, you go to the United Kingdom, uh, diacetylmorphine or diamorphine, it, it's a legal prescription product because it's dosed. Uh, fun fact, it's package insert, the little piece of paper that typically gets thrown away immediately. Um, it, it's not negative 15 font. It's a reasonable font size. So you could read it. And it's really just a front and back of a page. Maybe we can learn from heroin package inserts, among other things, right? Good golly. All right. One question that really comes up is, um, you know, when talking about heroin and fentanyl and everything, you know, where are they coming from? Uh, pretty obvious uh, based on the facts that are out there. Um, you know, countries like China, Mexico and abroad uh, used to be the Middle East as well. Uh, that's that's where, you know, the illicit supply, whether precursors or actual stuff is coming from. Uh, we've all read that. But uh, a logical question then would be, of course, well, what about the prescription opioids? What are the where where, where are they? You know, where are we getting the precursors? Where are we getting the thebane, the stuff in the poppy? Well, the answer is actually Australia, Spain and France. They're the highest producers of opium in our gl globe overall, the whole planet. Uh, typically more so, according to uh, International Narcotics Control Board reports, more so than the illicit side even. Interesting way of looking at things. But back to heroin. You know, how do we make it? Well, you got the poppy, okay? There's the flower, and then about a week or two later, probably two, uh, you got the, the round ball. So you can take a little knife to it and the ooze will come out. But usually folks would use the Freddy Krueger device, so you have multiple knives on the hand at once. Uh, you're going to extract the morphine, you're going to double acetylate uh, to get diacetylmorphine, and then you're going to um, create the hydrochloride salt. That's it. Four steps, okay? Done in the mountains of other countries and our own every day. It's not that hard, really. Where we run into a ruckus is the adulterants or the cutters, okay? The things that are added in to make things either cheaper to make uh, or more desired by the end users. Uh, various heroin uh, cutters would be uh, quinine, diltiazem, mannitol, diphenhydramine, Benadryl, of course, uh, nitazines, xylazine, or trank dope, uh, and of course, fentanyl and its analogs. I know you've heard of many of those before, uh, but you know, quinine is uh, usually added to mimic the bitter taste of heroin and just be cheaper. Uh, diltiazem, um, you know, when there's diltiazem in opioid, there's basically a, an effort of blocking the decrease in levels of dopamine. Um, so it's ultimately looking to uh, pre prevent withdrawal symptoms per se. Uh, mannitol is an os osmotic diuretic, so you're going to get that uh, diarrhea, you know, counteracting any uh, or counteracting constipation from the opioid. Um, Benadryl or diphenhydramine, um, pretty commonly found in tox reports from overdose deaths. Um, you know, hardly ever. I think it's like four or five percent. Was it only diphenhydramine or antihistamines really alone? Uh, but you know, about fifteen percent of overdose deaths um, it would have would be antihistamine positive in the tox results, right? Uh, so it's not saying that it was the antihistamine, but they're involved, of course. Uh, nitazines, a popular one you guys might know of, ISO, uh, ISO nitazine. Uh, they are opioids. They are, are technically uh, termed benzimidazoles. Say that one again, right? Uh, but that is a type of opioid. 
um, you know, became popular probably a couple of years ago, 2019, uh, really. Um, it's controlled substance one, but you know, that doesn't really matter to, you know, drug dealers illegally. So, you know, you control anything, but you can't control drug dealers per se. Uh, so there's that. Uh, the big one now, of course, everybody's talking about trank dope or xylazine. So xylazine is not an opioid. Well, you got to remember that uh, it's actually a potent alpha two agonist. So you're thinking things like clonidine, tizanidine, lofexidine, levomisole, so on and so forth. Okay, uh, it, it's working within in between our neurons with norepinephrine. Uh, it, it does distribute through the body very well. It's highly lipophilic. Uh, it's, it's utilized all the time in a veterinary sense. Uh, they, those folks uh, are going to use it as an anesthetic, analgesic, a medic. Been around for like over 50 years. Uh, abuse trends started about a little bit over a decade ago. Uh, the thing with xylazine, though, is it slows down blood flow. Remember that norepinephrine, you know, the cardio side of things eventually. Uh, so that's going to increase wound healing time. Uh, xylazine being added to heroin, fentanyl, and so on and so forth. It's going to cause eschar or dead tissue falling off the skin. It's going to be shedding. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty gross. Uh, but again, xylazine is not an opioid. So naloxone is not going to reverse the effects. And that's where really where we find ourselves today. You remember it as Narcant if you want to. Uh, and trends are, um, you know, our data with illegal substances is always a little bit dated, of course. Uh, it's pretty much everywhere within our country now, okay? But really the big thing, of course, is is fentanyl, all right? Uh, let's go over the before and after with fentanyl, though. Uh, there's fentanyl precursors, uh, very specific things. I'll just use the abbreviations for this one. We're on a podcast, right? Uh, NPP or 4AP is one of the precursors. It's a smaller structure. And then there's ANPP. That's a structure that is very similar to fentanyl, uh, really a direct precursor there. That's what we see coming over from overseas. Um, you know, Even though uh, things have been made uh, illegal to do, there's still tax breaks for doing so. That's never in the headlines, right? Uh, but what about the fentanyl analogs? Uh, there, there's a lot of them, uh, things like carfentanil, sufentanil, uh, that's a legal prescription in our country, by the way. Uh, China White, um, other, you know, acral fentanyl, brorphine, the list goes on and on. There's so many of them, okay? I did mention carfentanil, though, um, you know, the elephant tranquilizer. Um, there's pictures out there showing, uh, you know, folks up in a helicopter about to trank an elephant with a dart. Uh, one of the things that they, everybody always shows pictures with uh, folks wearing gloves, uh, the sensationalized idea of, you know, if you touch this stuff, good golly, life is over, not so much. And, you know, that's a comma, not a period. Um, if it if it gets into our system, our bodies, yeah, then that's a problem, of course. Uh, the issue, we saw this uh, particularly even throughout the pandemic of, you know, our hands are always touching our face somehow or some way, right? Eyeballs, noses, mouths, whatever. Uh, so if it gets on some, carfentanil gets on someone's finger and then they touch something like, say, an eyeball, you know, that's allergy season, you're itchy, whatever, then we're in trouble. Okay. But if it's just on the skin, it's not really an issue. You just want to get rid of it then. Uh, Carfentanil, fun fact, it was actually in the uh, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies. That's what they stated in the movies to trank the dinosaurs. Good golly. Uh, let's come back to uh, semi reality, though. Um, you know, uh, it, morphine milligram equivalents, MMEs. Okay. Uh, we cover that in a whole other episode. Check it out if you'd like. 
Uh, but carfentanil's uh, potency, its MME factor is 10,000. Fentanyl is 100. Heroin's about three, give or take. Okay, you know what it's not? It's not 10,000. Heroin in our country is illegal. Carfentanil and fentanyl are legal. Fentanyl is recommended and needed to be in every hospital. Imagine doing surgeries without it. Carfentanil is legal too in the veterinary sense. I go figure. It's it's almost like uh, you know the clinical objectivity is not there when classifying legality of a substance because it's just not. Okay, regardless of the de debates and all that, um, as far as right now in the early uh, 2020s, our timeline, folks, it's all fentanyl, and we really need to remember that one pill can kill. Uh, the DEA took up that slogan as a, a not a marketing, but a getting out the information. We really got to remember one pill can kill. It's not a sensationalization. It's not a over dramatized. It's not a scare tactic. It's a reality. Okay. Um, all right. So let's go beyond fentanyl. Let's jump into some of our other, you know, the purely illegal opioids here for our drugs opioid talk here today start with crocodile okay no not the things that uh the animals uh you know down in the everglades or wherever uh we're talking about crocodile desomorphine macgyver's heroin okay gosh i used to love macgyver we even checked out the new show too so you know for us uh nerds in that accord recommend the shows okay but macgyver's heroin crocodile you basically start out with codeine you do about two three steps uh, and you end up with desomorphine, okay? Uh, but along the way, you're using the red sulfur from matches, you're using paint thinner, uh, batter, uh, chemicals from batteries, gasoline, and Drano, okay? The problem is that those things are not taken out of the end product. It's not necessarily the desomorphine that's the, the killer, the worry worked there. It's the fact that folks would be injecting gasoline or Drano or anything else I mentioned into their body. Okay, that's where you end up with that um, uh, really bad skin looking like crocodile skin. Okay, uh, but it, you know, in the end, it's desomorphine. The MME factor is stated to be about 10 for that, so it's relatively potent, but nowhere near things like carfentanil, right? All right, then we got uh, enough with the crocs, right? Let's go to research chemicals, RCs, all right? Not rookie cards for my baseball card fans out there. All right, so uh, research chemicals, RCs, W18. Uh, the, the names of these are sometimes boring, so our street slang takes care of that. We're talking here chiclets, okay? Uh, it's a you know typical opioid. ME factor, eh, about 1,000, you know, give or take. Good golly, chiclets. Uh, another one, uh, Noxalam, or AH7921. Boring names, right? Well, they're research chemicals. Uh, came about, uh, it was discovered about 50 years ago. Um, it became a, a controlled substance class one back in 2016 in our country. ME factor is just under one. So very similar to morphine, really. Uh, then we have U47700. Boy, do the media love to cover this one because it just sounds so, I don't even know, something when you see that in the headline. Uh, the U stands uh, comes from Upjohn because it was developed 50 years ago um, uh, by you know these various companies that were looking for the holy grail of pain management, something that was efficacious and completely safe. That's the holy grail in pain management, right? Uh, but anyways, uh, street slang would be pinks or pinky. Uh, it's actually a kappa agonist, uh, so a little bit different than our other opioids. Uh, it's a structural analog uh, from uh, what we just talked about, the AH7921. MME factor for U47700 is about 7.5, give or take. All right, let's uh, go to, to another one here. That's, uh, it's called Tianeptine. Uh, internationally, it's actually a prescription, uh, but here, here in the States, uh, not so much here, of course. Um, how does TNF work? Well, 
structurally, it looks a, it's basically a, a tricyclic antidepressant, a TCA, okay, with a long tail. All right. Uh, but it's uh, tianeptine is an atypical antidepressant. It's a serotonin reuptake enhancer. Uh, it's also an atypical mu agonist. Uh, when tianeptine is administered with morphine, uh, it's observed uh, to possibly prevent respiratory depression. That's a pretty big note there too, right? Um, but the big picture is that you're thinking like a TCA as far as the structure, what it looks like, how it functions, okay? And that it's pretty easy to remember because it's tianeptine, starts with a T, so TCA, right? Now, here, let's get a little wild here with uh, Kratom or Kratom, as uh, they'll say maybe in other places like Thailand. Uh Kratom, Kratom, Kratom. It's um, how many folks uh, see it on the neon signs or the flags that are going around for these shops all across the country. Uh, and its legality is ever changing. But it's pharmacology. Eh, if we were going to say something was cool, uh, this would be the one because it's it's pretty dynamic. Okay. Uh, the, the main active ingredient in Kratom uh, is a metrogenine. Uh, it's a structurally similar to yohimbine, uh, but it's also um, it, it's in the same opioid structural class as tapentadol or tramadol. Uh, so another cousin to that as well. But how's, how's Kratom work or this metrogenine? So low doses, one to five grams, you're getting stimulatory effects and even antidepressant effects. Whereas with high doses over five grams, that's where you get the opioid agonism okay primarily kappa uh, and also alpha 2 agonism so it's kind of like you put an opioid with xylazine or trank dope together and you know it's all about the dosage too folks but you know effect wise that's what we're seeing but it's dynamic low dose stimulation high dose sedation opioid agonist alpha 2 agonist uh, lots and lots of changes with laws i, I if i say something it's going to change you know five minutes prior lots of changes across our country when it comes to kratom all right, a couple more, folks. Uh, let's go over salvinorin, okay? Uh, it's, uh, it's a sage plant in the mint family. Literally looks like mint when you look at the plant. Uh, it's native to Mexico, specifically Oaxaca. Um, that's that's uh, it's, it's spelled O-A-X-A-C-A, -A -A, but it's pronounced Oaxaca. You'll see it in a lot of the Netflix shows, okay? Uh, but anyways, the street slang would be salvia divinorum or divinor sage or la maria or magic mint. Again, it's a mint family. Uh, it's actually the most potent hallucinogen by weight. Okay, uh, it was uh, used in uh, Maztec shamans utilizer during divination or spiritual uh, rituals. Basically, uh, that's where um, you know the, the, the La Maria comes into play. They're actually talking about uh, spiritual uh, traditions involving Saint Mary uh, and other saints along the way as well, too. But what about the pharmacology? How's this stuff working? So salvinorm, another interesting one with how it works. Um, let me put it this way. It's got some opioid action and endocannabinoid action. Yeah, an opioid and an endocannabinoid. So you're thinking cannabis and opioid all in one. Wow, that, that should get some headlines, right? And it does. All right, next up, Ibogaine in our rundown here of thug drug opioids. Uh, lots of headlines with Ibogaine on recent past and even current day. Uh, it's controlled substance class one. It's illegal, folks. But how does it work? Uh, it's a potent serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Uh, it's a moderate kappa agonist and a weak mu agonist. So you got opioid and serotonin action, right? Uh, it's actually naturally found. Oh, it's natural. Uh, it's naturally found just like cocaine and opium and everything else, right? Naturally found in the iboga root bark. So it's a tree with a uh, pretty shiny gold fruit, actually. 
When folks are utilizing Ibogaine, there's something known as the Ibogaine experience. It's two phases. First, you have the visionary phase. It's very dreamlike, psychedelic. Okay, Then you have the introspection phase. Uh, that's really where one is uh, aiming to conquer their fears and really get in touch on the psych side. Okay, So two phases with Ibogaine. Kind of similar in a way. Next up on our thug drug opioid would be Cambo. Okay. Also known as frog medicine or sapo. Um, the, the, it comes from uh, Amazon basin frogs. Okay. So it's almost like cartoons are coming to play here, but multiple different frogs in the Amazon basin. Uh, but that's why they call it frog medicine. Uh, Campbell's got a lot of chemicals. Uh, you can always say that with a cave in. Uh, you got like dermorphin, deltorphin, a lot of endorphin or endorphins overall. Um, how, how is it utilized? Well, uh, there, there's there's the thing known as the Campbell purge. Okay, somebody drinks something like two liters of water, and then there's the utilization of Campbell, and folks are going to be vomiting and defecating everywhere. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? It's done every day uh, in certain parts of the globe, right? Um, that's the uh, ingestion part. There's also the Campbell sticks or powders where uh, folks have tiny little slits in their skin or skin burns, really. Uh, and that's the Campbell gates. And then you put the powder on little sticks to put it into the skin there. Um, it, it usually looks like a little green mustard uh, when it's uh, put together as the powder uh, to then apply to the skin burns. Uh, but big picture, you think in vomiting, defecation, and then getting that introspection along the way. All right, if that didn't sound fun enough, uh, there's an opioid that's actually uh, another one that's in the hallucinogen class. It's our last one here today. Uh, it's MP3. Okay, that's how I would call it, but MPPP, we'll go with MP3, okay? Uh, much longer name overall, not for this conversation today. Uh, it's actually a, a illegal drug analog of meparidine. Okay? It was synthesized, uh, the, gosh, 75, 80 years ago. Um, the issue with that, though, is that it, one of its uh, metabolites actually of a precursor uh, is a neurotoxin, and that's where folks run into problems there. Uh, this is in the phenylpaparazines class of hallucinogens as far as the structural and effect uh, classifications overall. Uh, but MP3 is an opioid analog, again, of meparidine. All right, so that was a, that, that was a pretty uh, rapid rundown of all things uh, thug drug opioids, right? Uh, but again, folks, we got to remember the big picture, too, overall, uh, of a lot of sensationalization out there. And also, there's a lot of real-life stories. Uh, you know, when something happens in a, infrequently, we still got to remember that it's happening and involves heartbeats. You know, an American dies from a drug overdose every six minutes in our country, all right? And conversely, a baby's born dependent to opioids, not addicted to, but dependent to opioids um, every half hour. Those are very staggering statistics and uh, you know beyond the headlines that are everywhere and the concern with everyone uh, this is a lot of information that we got to get out to our communities perhaps not as pharmacologically speaking but really important you know uh, you know when you hear a campaign like one pill can kill we gotta you know not write it off uh, you know uh, one of our sons actually uh, is very fluent with that we'll teach friends as well because uh, you never know uh, what folks are going to do for their decisions in life uh, it's usually little moments little decisions huge consequences okay we all have them they don't always involve fentanyl but you know what sometimes it does so we got to remember the whole one pill can kill it's always fentanyl anymore anyway and all these cutters are adulterants along the way okay 
So I hope that this rundown really helps folks for, uh, you know, at least remembering some names along the way when it comes to some what I'd call thug drug opioids uh, to, to really help us not just with patient care, but really in our family, friends, family, communities, everywhere overall. Uh, so, you know, as we conclude this episode of The Pain Pod, I just want to thank everyone for your time again. Uh, and as always, I want to wish you a great day every day. If you'd like to join Mark on The Pain Pod, send us an email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. And make sure to share the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. Thanks for listening.